let's pull it together. And um, I, I want to have a little bit of an open discussion now. Um, and I will repeat like the answers for the sake of the recording um, because I want to move through this quickly. I don't want to take time to pass the mic. But let's share with one another. What are some of the ways that you um, shared how you would define femininity? Mentoring and full of wisdom. Nurturing. What are some um, biological attributes of femininity or being female? Heather? Yeah, giving birth. Um, there's the two X chromosomes that we have. Um, there's the hormones that we have that allow us to go through reproduction to give birth. There's our anatomy. How about some of the stereotypes that we may have heard? Can you think of any um, physical stereotypes? Yeah. Uh, okay. Some might say women are weaker. Yeah. So we have to add uh, uh, adornment to our physical selves to look more female, set apart. Um, how about emotional characteristics? Emotional, we cry more. Yeah, no, we pay some people say, but yeah, we're emotional. We cry more. We wear our feelings on our sleeve. Um, how about some historical attributes? What have you heard historically? Hysterical or seductive? Mm, hysterical, seductive. In some history classes, you hear about like the domain of domesticity, like mm. the making. Oh, it's hard in my textbook. Yeah. Women should be in the home and not like out in the world working. Yeah. What I'm hoping right now is that you're feeling a little bit of tension, feeling boxed in because do we all associate with any of those things? No, like there's a lot of variation. So, so we often are feeling boxed in maybe misunderstood, misrepresented by these categories. Some of you actually might be wondering, what is the big deal? Why is there so much discussion about what it means to be feminine and what it means to be masculine? Um, I, you might be thinking, I love being female. I'm comfortable in my body and I don't care about the stereotypes. I'm just over here being a girl. <laughs> Femininity has been a topic of cultural discussion for many generations, but have you asked yourself why? Humans struggle to agree on one worldview. Whether we are deliberately aware or not, there is a lens or a grid that we use to evaluate right and wrong. And from this perspective, we orient our preferences and our decisions around. But the cultural worldview is ever-changing. It whips around. The, the ideas whip around us um, like the wind. And it's a mix-up of religions, governments, science, and technology. People who are engaged in the discussions of cultural ideas have differing definitions and values and morals. So there can never be a complete agreement because there is not an actual equal measurement or standard for what is right and what is wrong. So the tension is real. Can you feel it? 
the culture does not recognize an authoritative perspective. But does that mean that one doesn't exist? Christians believe that God created everything, including us. And if God made us, wouldn't it make sense for us to consider what his purpose and design is? We need to consider that he had a particular purpose and plan in mind. And uh, if you look in Hebrews eleven three, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Christians believe there is one true God, and our faith is based on his perspective alone. What we're going to talk about here is what God has created and what he has declared about femininity. Scripture is the grid that we use to discern what is right in all matters of life. It's God's perspective that we choose to orient our lives around. Before we begin, though, let us address some possible hesitations or objections. Maybe you think you know what the Bible says, or someone has declared to you their interpretation of what the Bible teaches. Based on what you've heard, the Bible's messaging may sound outdated or misogynistic. Would you consider that what you are objecting to isn't actually what the Bible teaches, but what culture thinks it understands about what the Bible teaches? I'd like to encourage you to set aside those cultural narratives, at least for this discussion, so that you can hear firsthand what God has spoken. Consider with me the research studies, the journal articles, the design patents that you are required to study and write reflection papers based on. You are researching original ideas and designs, and your professors rightly require you to trace out the sources and to accurately cite them to ensure the information is appropriately represented, is not fabricated or misunderstood or misrepresented. And then you are asked to evaluate those ideas and to respond to them. You have been taught to be discerners. Friends, in this workshop, we are talking about our very personhood. This, there is an original designer. His name is God. And behold, we have in our possession his very words. We have his firsthand account of the designer's plans. And we must be very careful not to fabricate, misunderstood, or misrepresent them. So would you study them with me closely so that we together can carefully reflect on the significance of our identity in them? In your packet on page 22 and 23, you can find our outline. God designed us female. We will start with creation and see that when God created us, he made us equal to man, yet distinct with purpose, and it is good. And we will observe what happened when sin entered the world and brought the effects of the curse. We will then look to Christ who came to set us free from the curse. And finally, we will consider some applications and I will uh, give you time to reflect on uh what you've heard, and how you, you can choose to respond. All right, let's begin. So we are going to look at Genesis 1, 26 to 31. I need to you uh, two passages 
in Scripture, there are two parallel accounts of creation. The first one is a big picture, and the second one we will uh, loop back and zoom closer in onto it. So uh, follow along with me in your packet, Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. And I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So there are many observations that we can make in this passage, but for the sake of our workshop, I want to highlight just a few. And again, they're on your outline. We're going to look at equal, distinct, purpose, and good. So first, equal. Look with me at verse 26. We see that God chose to make man in his own image. I want to note here that in the original language, The word for man is a generic term for mankind, and it will end with the proper name Adam. It will become the proper name Adam. Mankind is equally made in God's image. Mary Cassian, who is one of our current church mothers, has written a book on biblical womanhood, and she has said, there's something about the us in God something about the relationship between the members of the Godhead that provides the blueprint for how he created male and female. God created gender, manhood and womanhood, to image who he is. Gender displays God. That's what gender does. Who we are and how we relate as women and men is an object lesson. It's a parable. It tells a very important story, and the story isn't about us. She says, Scripture says that God created sons and daughters for His glory to display the jaw-dropping wonder of who He is. Think about that. Our femininity is to display who God is. Second, our femininity is distinct It is also imperative to notice that mankind is created male and female. You can see it for yourself in verse 27. Mankind is equal. All mankind is created in the image of God, yet there is a distinction in their gender. So when God ordered creation, he made mankind distinctly male and female that they equally image his glory. Next, let's look at purpose. In verse 28, God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. 
When God created humankind, male and female, he did so for a common purpose, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to take care of the earth. He created gender for a unified purpose with hope for a future. And lastly, he declared that it is good. Verse 26, it was only after he created male and female that everything he created was very good. Let's take a closer look at this creation account in chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 5 and then jump down. So starting in verse 5, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, And there he put the man whom he had formed. Then God describes forming four rivers of waters, and we're going to skip down to verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up, his fl- closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, that they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's take a look at the scriptures with me. Um, In verse 7, after God had made the heavens and earth before the creature was created, he created man. God then creates a garden. He puts man in the garden to take care of it, but it was not good. In verse 18, we see that it is not good that man should be alone. God says, I will make a helper fit for him. So he creates animals. He brings the animals to man who then gives them names. But again, God declares there is not a helper fit for Adam. So God puts Adam to sleep and from a rib that God takes from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to him. And Adam then sings this is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. So let's consider what is so significant about woman. In verse 22, she is the only gift from God to man that is a fit companion to him. 
twice we see that God desired a helper fit for man, but there was no helper fit for him. Woman is a helper. And I want you to be careful not to cringe here. Um, I'm not saying that God oppresses women. And I'm not saying that being a helper is weak. Nowhere does God describe being helper weak. On the contrary, when God creates woman to be helper, made in his image, he's creating her to be an azer. And that's a Hebrew word for helper. So throughout all the Bible, from Genesis and throughout the Old Testament, you can do a word study um, looking at Exodus and Deuteronomy over and over. God describes himself as azer, as a helper to his people. God provides help to his people that is absolutely and utterly indispensable. So that means when he creates woman helper, he creates her to be absolutely and utterly indispensable. Woman images God as helper, and this is uniquely her role, imaging her creator. Azer is an honor. It's a noble calling. There's one other observation I want to point out here for the sake of addressing an elephant in the room. In verse 24 and 25, please don't let this passage cause you to stumble. God is not boxing you in to marriage. If you aren't feeling a call to marriage now or if ever, that is okay. There are many examples of single men and women in church history throughout the Bible and in in our current history uh, that God uses to who faithfully serve him in that that calling of singleness. And he uses them to build his kingdom. And there's actually a lengthy uh section in one of Paul's letters to the church of Corinth, where he describes the blessedness of being single. I think it's also important to point out here that God designed sexuality good only in the context and bounds of a marriage covenant relationship. When Adam took woman as his wife, they were naked and not ashamed. We can hear that as God declaring here that sexuality is not something that is individual or changing. And hopefully we find hope in that. Before we move on, let's make explicit what we have learned about God in these two passages in Scripture and the two creation accounts. About God, we have learned that He has authority. He creates merely by speaking. Who of us can do that? And when he creates, he is very generous. We see that all that he gave them in the garden, the the vegetation, the birds and the animals to enjoy uh, for for food and uh, to delight in. With mankind, we see that they are created equal by God. Adam was first created and Um, That does not mean that uh, Eve is less important. There was no suitable helper for for him. The animals were not a fit companion for Adam, and it wouldn't have been enough to simply make a second man. So this speaks against the message that women are less than. And it also points out that there is a difference between men and women. They are created equal with complementary roles. 
and it is very good. We see in chapter 1, verse 28, that mankind is on mission together. And in 2.18, they are treasured companions. They are unified in a covenant marriage in 2.25, and they are naked and unashamed. And about the world, we've learned that it is ordered, that everything is created, good, in its time, and to be under the care, rule, and responsibility of man. So in these first two, in these two creation accounts, God spoke and authorized to be written down. We see that God made mankind in his image for his glory. Man and woman are, to, are equal and complementary roles, and their purpose is to be fruitful and multiply. And that it's given to them together. So God designed gender for order, unity, and hope. And this must not be lost on us. We must understand this, that all of this happened. God formed and fashioned it and made it and declared it before the fall. The world tells us that we are here by accident, that you can create you. But sisters, that is a lie deep from the pit. And it was sown after the fall and for which we would never We must never believe. God had a particular order and purpose for designing women different from men, not to be inferior as the world may tell you that the Bible teaches. It was intentional, not by mistake, and not for our own preferences and desires. God made you female for a purpose with value and significance. And then came the cross. So let's look at the curse on your outline. We don't have time to do a deep, thorough discussion in Bible study in Genesis 3, but it has great significance. It is the account when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve did eat from the tree that he declared for them not to. They disobeyed God. They forgot his goodness. They doubted his love, and they fell into temptation. When they sinned, the world turns upside down. There's now chaos, division, and despair. And after they sin, we see the curse. For Satan, God said there will be enmity between his offspring and the woman's. For woman, there is now pain and childbearing and discord in her marriage relationship. And for Adam, there is pain in his work. Because our first parents fail to trust God's authority, They open themselves to the lies, and we now experience the continuation of the pain of the curse. But take heart. We have Christ. I promised you that in this workshop, we would look to God's Word to find our purpose and delight in our female design. When we read the fall account of mankind in Genesis 3, we must not neglect to see the glimmer of hope that is there. We find Christ in the text. He is the only one who can undo the curse. So let's turn to him on your outline. In the curse, Adam heard hope. There will be a time when woman's offspring will crush the liar's head. There will be a time... uh, 
sorry, in this hope, Adam names his wife Eve, which is a Hebrew word that sounds for life giver and looks like the word for living. It was at this point that there's a needle of thread of redemption that God is going to weave from beginning of Genesis all the way through Revelation. Through the whole Bible, we see the redemption story as one continuous thread sewn through creation, the fall, and redemption, and it will end when Christ comes again to recreate the new heavens and the new earth. What Satan intended for chaos, division, and despair, Christ will overcome. So we need to hear this hope. In her life, in her body, in her pain, carries the meaning and purpose. Jesus is the one who broke the curse for to free us now. And well, one day we will be completely free of the effects of the curse when he comes again to make all things new. I didn't get to include uh, this scripture verse in your packet, but I wanted to have it in front of you. From Galatians 4, 4 to 7, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are a son, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. Throughout the long generations of faithful women and over months and years of pain, Eve's seed has been carried straight through to the line of Christ. We are daughters of God. We are heirs with Christ. We must not live as slaves or, as Megan said, as orphans to the principles of this world. You have been bought by his blood, and if Christ has set you free, then, sisters, you are free indeed. So what does this mean? How do we apply this? Let's discuss some application together. What does this mean for us as modern women? Christ has already come. He's crushed death, and he has promised to come again to destroy evil once and for all. Yet, we still face the pains of the curse. We still experience all kinds of pains with our fertility. Our menstrual cycles cause us physical, emotional, and mental pain every month. We still experience pain in childbirth. Maybe not now in your season of life, but you probably know people who've experienced infertility. Um, and I, I think it's important for us to consider that in, in singleness, the longer that you live in singleness, the, the more that you feel your own infertility um, and wonder, will I be able to have children? But sisters, we can delight in our design, even, or I want us to consider how can we delight in our design even when so often it feels like a curse. If you've been around disciple makers for any length of time, you've probably seen or heard this passage. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. This is the new covenant version of the Genesis mandate to be fruitful and multiply. I want to share with you an excerpt that is in your packet on page 22. It's from um, a book by Rachel Jones, and she offers this hope of encouragement for us. So for God's people today, this is the main way we bring life into the world, not by, by, not by bearing children, but by making disciples. Or rather, the call to bear children is part of a bigger mission. We are to model and teach the gospel to any children we are blessed with as part of the call to go and make disciples. It happens as we speak of Jesus, open up the Bible, or sing his praises to one another. It happens as we teach children at church or around the dinner table, and as we ask questions to draw out the heart of a hurting friend. It happens as we invite people to read the Bible with us or message them to see if they'd like to come to church. It happens as we share what's encouraged us from the passage at a Bible study or as we praise God for His goodness to us as we chat over how our weeks been on a Sunday. It happens as we pray with and for one another. It happens as we plead with God for Christ's kingdom to grow and for Christ's people to mature. And we do it all while the clock is ticking. Death is at work in you, Paul tells the Corinthians, but life is at work. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. In fact, it's as though he's pouring himself out for the gospel, causing the sand to press through the hourglass faster. The mission is huge, and every day counts. And each period could become a cause for reflection. What disciple-making have I done this month? Where have I nurtured spiritual life? Have I played a part in bringing new spiritual life into the world? Ladies, we can go into the world and be life givers. We can be helpers as God designed us to be. That's the first application, to live out your purpose. Second, we can delight in our uniqueness. Dear sisters, I can't stand up here and pretend to know what your experience being female has been like. I don't know your story. I don't know if being female has been a joy or a sorrow. I don't know what pain you have experienced or may one day find yourself in. But one thing I know for certain is that God created you. He created you uniquely you. In his image, he created you female. The stereotypes are just that. You may find yourself feeling other in, the feminine, in your femininity because you don't feel like you fit some standard that the world has placed on you. But sweet sisters, hear this. Don't let the culture box you in. Christ has set you free. Don't let your femininity be erased. Don't let Satan's lies deceive you. He intends to trip you up, to confuse you, to have you feeling despair. He intentionally distorts the truth. In her book, Sexual Sanity for Women, Ellen Dykus says, both male and female stereotypes have helped us to feel like we don't fit in and keep us from discovering and accepting who we are as women. 
As we align our sense of identity with and femininity to the Word of God and through our relationship with Christ, we learn to embrace our womanhood. She says, You have gifts, talents, styles, and propensities that God built and created in you. They are good qualities. And if you have them as a woman, then they are feminine. So in other words, if you are a woman and you have a truck, your truck is feminine. If you are a woman and you like the color blue, then when you wear it, it is blue. Whatever your career is, you make it feminine. And Paul tells us that we are many members that make up the body of church. And just like the body has many unique parts, eyes, mouth, fingers, toes, the church needs many unique individuals. God chose to make you female with uniqueness. And no matter what stereotypes the world tries to define you on, your uniqueness is for his glory and for the church to be built up for his, his, his glory. By his grace, God sent his son to earth to experience physical life. Jesus' perfect life led to his sacrificial death, so that upon hearing the good news and believing that Jesus died for your sins, you can become a partner, a helper with God, to glorify him by carrying his message of eternal life to a fallen world. Every time you face the reality of your femininity, whether in pain or joy, let it remind you that for the joy sent before him, Christ endured the cross, the pain of the cross, to give you abundant eternal life, and we can give thanks to him and glorify him. Romans 1.19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Ladies, we are without excuse. Our bodies are creation speaking to us. And every month, God allows them to be a gift, a message to remind us of who we are. Female by design for order, unity, and hope as helpers and life givers to image God's glory to the world. I've asked uh, Sarah and Beth, who are both on staff with Disciple Makers, to share uh, brief testimonies of theirs to illustrate what it has looked like for them to struggle with their femaleness and how they found hope and confidence in Christ. Hello. Yeah, so I'm Sarah, and I I grew up in a family where mostly men were born. So I was the first woman born in my family in 50 years. Yeah, it's wild. It's really, it's like very uncanny. Uh, and, and my dad always wanted sons. And he didn't do this intentionally, but he didn't hide that he wanted sons. And he ended up with two daughters. Uh, and growing up, I would often feel... Was it a mistake that I was a girl? Was I supposed to be a boy? 
And because little girls want to often want to please their dads, I often would try to downplay anything that felt female culturally and, and really try to engage with him in that kind of cultural masculine world. My dad's a mechanic. He's a hunter. He's all of that jazz. Uh, and so he would take us along with him. And so I wanted to do those and excel at those and, and do well. I was really bad at sports. So I was not not a great, not great. Um, but anyway, so I grew up with culturally these very disparate interests because I grew up being really into like sewing and all of that stuff, things that maybe the culture would say are, are female. But then I was doing all this other stuff with my dad that the culture would say are masculine. And I felt very torn, like very... Um, and I even wonder if I was in high school now, would I have been pressured into sort of a, either an asexual or a gender fluid particular type of situation? And I think I probably would have uh, because I felt very like two different people. Who am I? And I, I can't even really tally the hours and the the mental back burner weight of overthinking the things I'm doing and why I'm doing them and all of that. And, and so then, you know, I, I started following the Lord. I started entering the world of biblical femininity books, which is a, a minefield of itself. The culture out there is a minefield, but the culture in there is a minefield because some of those biblical femininity books are not that biblical. And that was not helpful either. And, and really, the one that I really can recommend, it's that there's actually a quote on the bottom of your outline from, from Ellen Dykus. The book is called Sexual Sanity for Women. And really, Karen's already talked about it, but this concept of you are a woman. So the thing you do is womanly because you're a woman doing it. The things are not gendered. The things do not define you. Like the Lord has made you. And the Lord, the Lord, it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like, uh-oh, Sarah got these ingredients that I didn't mean to put in there. Whoops. Uh, that he created them different. And so my, my womanhood can be expressed in all of those things. Um, and, and so now it's not to like, rag on my dad. I actually feel like also unintentionally he didn't raise me in a gender box, which I actually think now is helpful. Now that I understand that the Lord has created me, the Lord has created these things and he has set me free. Um, I, I can so address and polish a spark plug in the same day. Like the thing, the thing is that the thing doesn't matter, you know? Um, but yeah, I think knowing that freedom, like it's interesting. Satan doesn't need to destroy us if he can distract us. And I can't even tally the hours I spent like being kept from the mission in some ways and from living in light and freedom of what Christ had called me because I was so worried about what am I doing and how am I doing it? Um, so, oh my goodness, I can't even like, I can't even express the, the weight that was lifted mentally and emotionally as I kind of went through that workbook. And as I, and if you want another book recommendation, um, there's a book called The Seed of the Woman that I'm reading right now. Because sometimes, wait, I, I, somebody might have even said, what's femininity? You're like Proverbs 31. Uh, as if that's like the only woman in the Bible, which is what I thought. It's like the only woman in the Bible. She's actually not even a real woman, but we'll tell you. Know, but uh, she's, uh, but so the seed of the woman actually traces Genesis 15, each generation of women in the Bible and how each of them imaged Christ. And what is astounding me as I've been reading it one after the other is how different they are and how many, some of them are women you may have never even heard about, like just really kind of minor women and minor prophets. Um, but it's been very encouraging to me to see the image of God created. Um, and anyways, so that was a recommendation. But yes, that is me. That's so cool, Sarah. I don't think I knew part, at least some of those things about you. That's really neat. 
my name is Beth Drips, and um, I was raised in a Christian home. And I remember when I first started to dig into my faith, just really starting to make that my own, was more kind of the middle school, high school age. And I was starting to spend a lot of time in the Word and starting to really love the Lord and who He was. And um, I didn't realize that in the midst of that, that there was a really weak spot in my belief that left a really open door for Satan in my life. Um, and I'll tell you what that was. It was in this area of femininity. Um, I first started to understand that God had made women with a unique design and there were parts of that understanding that I loved, right? <laughs> I loved that God had made women um, to rule and subdue God's creation. I was like, yes, I see that. I resonate with that. I'm there for that. And let me tell you, I'm to this day terrified of house centipedes. That's like the bug that gives me panic attacks. And I call upon the creation mandate to address them in my home still today. I'm like, God has given me authority. I don't have to live in fear. I'm still terrified, but I'll squish it, right? Um, <laughs> um, and I also, there were, there were other aspects of being uh, part of God's feminine design that I loved. But there were also parts that I didn't resonate with very well. And beyond parts that I didn't resonate with very well, um, was sort of interpretations of how those uh, parts of my design should play out. And for me, I was less negatively impacted by what the world tells us about femininity than I was by sort of the middle-class American church's perspective of what femininity is, which um, has some places where I don't think it holds very true to what the scripture says. And um, those left me feeling very boxed in and very despairing um, at times. And the thing, um, the thing is that over time, I started to question, the more and more I bumped into these sort of limitations and descriptions that didn't fit well who I was, um, I started to wonder if this is really what God has said, and yet he created me to not fit well. Does he really love me very much? You know, does he care about his design and his cool sort of image in his head? but not really about me and how this impacts me. And, um, and that worry and that doubt really grew uh, in my mind bigger and bigger and bigger until um, toward the end of high school, I decided, you know, my parents were leaders in the church. I didn't want to, like, shame them or anything. I just decided, all right, I'm going to keep up this, like, Christian thing on the outside, but— I really don't think I can follow this kind of a God. Like, he, he is not in this for me. He's in this for his thing, and that thing is not good for me. Um, and and it, um, it was very painful for me because I believed he was God, and I believed what he said would stand, but I also believed it harmed me, right? So that was just a very conflicting point in time to be in. Um, and the Lord, thankfully, did not leave me there forever. Um, I, I had come to the point where I wasn't really reading the scripture anymore because it was so painful for me to encounter God and to think that he didn't love me. Um, and I remember one day, though, um, I was in sort of a forced um, devotional time with my youth group. And uh, and I was reading the scriptures, and that I wasn't thinking about this particular issue at all. I was just trying to answer the questions, you know. And the Lord met me right there. And um, he didn't bring up any of the particular things I was struggling with, the particular ways where I felt like these things weren't working or fitting for me. 
Instead, he just spoke to my heart and he, and he said to me, Beth, I love you. And I mean things this way because I want to see you live. And I'll tell you what, ladies, it spoke deeply into my heart and it did not erase my concerns and my places where things didn't match up, but it helped me to reapproach God on this subject on a different footing. All of a sudden, I was like, all right, I'm going to re-engage with you, and I'm going to ask you to show me again what you say here. Can this really play out in a way that doesn't harm me, but does good to me? Um, and the Lord started then a process of tearing down really just wrong expectations and wrong understandings of what he said and building into me afresh and anew what he meant for me and how he made me um, and allowed me to embrace more and more who he called me to be as a reflection of his glory. And I see now looking back at how um, there are many ways that God has led me on a different path than I imagined or than that might have been stereotypical for me growing up and how I needed to be prepared to understand that calling by understanding who he was and who he'd made me. Um, otherwise, I just could not have followed him on some of those steps. Um, and so I, I really, I truly hope that as if there are come points where you start to wrestle with and wonder about God's design in your life and how what the scripture says could possibly relate well to you, that you will press into knowing that God deeply loves you and that he is not a God who says, hmm, you need to eat vegetables, huh? Because they're good for you. Let's find the one you hate. Let's give you that one every day. It'll be good for you. But that is not how God relates to you, that God loves you and he gives you good things and he um, fills your life um, with all the fullness that there is to be found in him. I want to give you time to consider your story and um, what your struggle has been. So um, we have just a few minutes left. I'm going to put some uh, thoughts up here for you to consider. What feels hard about being female? How does Christ set you free from the bondage you feel? And how will you respond? What I really hope that you heard here is that whatever package you are, whatever interests you are, whatever shape you are, whatever um, interests you are, that, that God created that specifically for for a purpose. He wants to use you in this world to display his glory and to for you to go out and to share that with other people that they would know him too. Um, so I want you to take some time now to think about what feels hard about being female. How have you heard Christ meets you in that? And how might you respond? So go ahead and, and have... Um, Four-ish minutes, and then I will wrap us up to pray. Guys, um, truly, that's but ladies, I'm gonna pray now to wrap us up. When the ladies, Lisa, in this appropriate thing for us to do when when we are confronted with who God is and who we are in light of who He is, is to glorify Him. So let's pray together and and glorify Him. God, we thank you that Your ways are higher than our ways. We thank you that uh, you have intentionally designed us female. In your wisdom, you formed and you fashioned us. Thank you that you made us fearfully and wonderfully in your image. Father, would you protect us from Satan's lies and temptations? Would you keep our minds fixed on your truth 
and help our hearts to set our hope uh, in you and your design and purposes. Help us uh, to live out our purposes and to delight in uh, the unique design that you have given us. Help us to glorify you and to make your name known in all the earth. Now and until we stand with you in glory, we, we, de- we desire to delight in uh, you for all eternity. We pray these things uh, because Christ has uh, given us life and meaning and purpose and has made a way for us to come into your presence. Father, we pray for uh, the meal that we're about to uh, enjoy with fellowship in our small groups. We pray that um, the conversation would be fruitful and encouraging. Would you help your word um, to sink deep into our hearts uh, that we might know you and understand you more and um, trust in your word and in in your truth, in your character. Um, thank you that we uh, can come to you and be in relationship with you and find our home in Christ. In him we pray. Amen.